often divesting and inclusion is seen as the HR department's responsibility. And and then the burden is placed on the head of HR to 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 fix everything. Mm. Um, but the thing is, my my more advanced thinking clients are the ones that realize that diversity and inclusion is actually everyone's responsibility. So marketing need to be thinking about how inclusive their campaigns are. Who who are they showing in their TV commercials or their print campaigns or their online campaigns? P, the people that run your office, the work the workplace people need to be thinking about accessibility. Um, things like, you know, gender neutral toilets, um, just having an inclusive built environment um, or office. Uh, your procurement team should really be thinking about how they can attract diverse suppliers and who's who's who are running and leading those suppliers. Are they are they led by people from a minority background? You know, are you actively trying to reach out to businesses that have been founded and led by people from an ethnic minority background, for example? Um, there's huge economic power in that for the business and, and for the country as a whole. So procurement departments play a really important role in building those partnerships and relationships through the supply chain. So diversity and inclusion is a lot more than just the, the HR department. Hi everyone, welcome back to the All Inclusive Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Toby Milden. Toby is more than just a diversity and inclusion architect. He's the founder of Milden, a boutique diversity and inclusion consultancy and advisory business. He's a captivating keynote speaker, the host of the popular podcast, The Inclusive Growth Show, and the author behind the amazing best-selling book, Inclusive Growth. We dive deep into Toby's DEI journey, his book, Inclusive Growth, and explore key insights that can help organizations build more inclusive environments. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell, and follow on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, Toby. Hey, Natasha. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well. Thanks for inviting me along. Oh no, thanks so much for joining me. Um, so let's kick things off. Can you share with our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today? Yeah, so I'm Toby. Uh, I'm a diversity and inclusion architect. So I work with chief people officers and senior business leaders to help them create their diversity and inclusion strategies. So either they have a strategy that's coming uh, to the end of its life and it needs refreshing or they don't have a strategy so they they need to develop one from scratch um most recently i've been working with big companies like mitchells and butlers that own toby carvery and the harvester um, centrica which is the parent company of british gas and uh, professional services businesses like turley who work in uh, planning and exodus who uh, consult on renewable energy Oh, lovely. A nice variety there. <laughs> um, yeah. I speak to a lot of diversity and inclusion, um, kind of consultants and and chief executives and all of those um, wonderful people that are and like yourselves that are doing great work. Um, but it wasn't a role that was kind of readily available um, as much as it is now. So how did you fall into it? So I started working in diversity and inclusion when I was working at the BBC. So I actually had a background in technology. 
prior to this, um, I've worked for Accenture as an IT consultant. I've worked in healthcare technology. And then I spent many years at the BBC as a project manager on the news website and the BBC Sounds app and working on accessibility projects. Um, I mean, to cut a long story short, when I was working in the technology department, the, the leadership team were concerned about the gender imbalance that we had in tech compared to the rest of the corporation. So only 14% of our workforce were women in technology and engineering compared to the rest of the BBC, which had a kind of 50-50 gender split. So the leadership team created a, an action plan to address this and they needed a project manager to execute the plan. And so I put my hand up and volunteered. And then it turned, it just turned into a full-time role after that. Um, I suppose I'd already had, I also had kind of prior experience. So I have a disability that I was born with. So I've got my own personal lived experiences of inclusion and exclusion. Um, and I used to also run the BBC's Disabled Staff Forum. So I was I was kind of dabbling in that space anyway. Mm, oh, that makes sense. I mean, you've, you've got your own personal experiences that you can contribute to the work. Um, yeah. So what actually motivated and inspired you to write your book? Because you've, you've recently published a book, Inclusive Growth, which is fantastic. Um, so what inspired you to become an author? So I... Obviously, I started working in diversity and inclusion at the BBC. I then moved on to Deloitte, um, looking at creating a culture of respect and inclusion, as we put it. I had a really great network of um, diversity and inclusion practitioners that I had built up um, over the time. Um, and then when I left to set up my own company, I was obviously working with lots of different organisations and they were all at different stages of, of maturity when it comes to diversity and inclusion. But I suppose that the question I had lingering over my mind was for those organizations that seem to be doing diversity and inclusion really well, like what is it they're actually doing? Because I was aware of like loads of frustrations that heads of HR were experiencing in terms of making an impact or not making an impact. Um, I was feeling the, the pressure from um, diversity and inclusion practitioners as well in terms of they felt like the lack of progress that they might be making in their different organizations so I suppose that was kind of the premise of the book it was like what are those organizations that are doing it really well that are kind of like the gold standard what is it they're doing and those organizations that are not making the desired impact what are the I suppose what are their frustrations and and that knowledge went into the book oh fantastic so with the book, you've got, you highlight kind of seven key areas um, that businesses need to consider when they're looking at um, transforming their culture and, and creating these inclusive environments. Can you just elaborate a little bit more with us about what those areas are through, through what you found? Yeah, so the first two um, is clarity and culture. And it really addresses the point of um so first of all, with clarity, it addresses the point of people not understanding why diversity and inclusion is important to their organization. They might get it on a cognitive level and they might have read the three McKinsey reports that spell out the, the benefits of having a diversity workforce. But 
they haven't really applied it to their own organization. So they're not clear on the why, and they don't really have their hands on the data to be able to help them pinpoint some of the challenges that their staff might be experiencing. So they need that clarity to understand what direction of travel they need to, to go in and, and the why. And then culture really addresses behaviors. Um, it kind of gets people to think about what behaviors are going on in the business right now, whether they're happy with those behaviors, whether it's creating the, the right culture or the right norms for that organization. Um, if not, what can a leader consciously do to try and shift the culture or nudge it in the right direction? And that, that's what the first two are really about. And that th th those two are kind of setting the, the foundation for, for the others. Oh, fantastic. And so the the other five um, areas, just to touch on those, how then does, so you've got the two foundations, what other areas would there be? Yeah, so following that, there's three more. So there's change, colleague experience and cyber. And these are really about how you start to embed it in your organization. So change is about how you actually consciously drive positive change in your business. Um, I suppose what I was experiencing was a lack of change management rigor. Um, because I had come from a tech background, I was very used to developing technology websites, apps with proper change management uh, yeah. wrapped around it. Yeah, because I mean, um, I guess it's kind of part of the process, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And then when I moved over to HR, like that kind of structure and that rigor was missing and people were then running around the office like headless chickens. Um, they, they were getting really frustrated about the lack of impact that they were making. They were burning out because they were, the priorities kept shifting and people were spreading themselves too thinly. So I was like, we have to treat diversity and inclusion like any other change program in the organization. So I suppose I, in, in that chapter, I spell out what that, that might look like. Um, the next area I've called colleague experience and design. And again, I've pinched a lot from the world of when I worked in user experience and design, but really this addresses the, I suppose, the misconception or the challenge that people feel like we have to fix individuals um, in order for them to fit in rather than actually looking at the systemic issues that are going on in the organization. So like, you know, what are the policies, the processes, that kind of thing that needs addressing. So it really talks about how do we actually make inclusive um, employee journeys? That could be that could be like picking apart the recruitment process and thinking about how we make that more accessible and inclusive. It could be thinking about how people get promoted in the organization. It might be thinking about transitions as well. So what what's it like for somebody when they become a parent in the organization? What's it like for somebody if they acquire a disability whilst they're working for you? So we map out those employee journeys to make them more accessible and inclusive. And then the third area is cyber. And there's kind of two parts to this. One is about how do you actually make your technology accessible? So that could be your um, careers website and your applicant tracking system, your learning management system, your intranet, all of those crucial systems that your people have to use. Um, and then 
the other element to this is is actually what technology might you want to use as a diversity and inclusion practitioner to help you with your work because there's so much tech out there now um for instance you might want to use an app that people can log microaggressions and then it will give you a heat map of who's experiencing those microaggressions where in the organization they're experiencing it because then with that data you can take targeted action oh that's fantastic i mean i'm glad that you talk about tech because there's there's a lot of tech out there um and so i'm gonna kind of delve a little bit deeper just just a little bit on that so how do you know when is a good software when when's it good to to use that particular piece of tech when it isn't what do you, what's your thought process on that yeah you're right there's so much technology out there and a lot of these apps and websites and technology providers are very good at marketing and convincing you that their solution is the solution that you must have in your business yeah we really have to go back to the clarity piece to understand what are the pain points that people are um experiencing and then what and then that will then steer you in the right direction about what technology you should be thinking about. So if, for example, you survey your staff and they tell you that, um, you know, there's there's a real problem with um, yeah, banter. Um, a lot of people might describe it as banter. We, we might say microaggressions or micro inequities. Uh, with that information, you might then want to delve deeper so using a system like in chorus for example which allows employees to log a microaggression in like a few seconds gives you the data to tell you who's experiencing what and in what part of the business i mean that saves you a lot of time and money and energy because then you know okay there seems to be a lot going on in the marketing department we need to go and talk to the head of marketing to find out what's culturally going on in their part of the business that, that that's actually sounds like a really good app actually yeah <laughs> um, that's fantastic so we've got clarity culture change um colleague experience you've talked about cyber yeah. um so your last two is in in the book is collaboration and celebration um, Yeah. so i feel collaboration i'm assuming is kind of working not only just with your own internal colleagues but also looking at external options is that that's right, right. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean collaboration really addresses the point that often diversity and inclusion is seen as the hr department's responsibility and and then the burden is placed on the head of hr to 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 fix everything mm. um but the thing is my my more advanced thinking clients are the ones that realize that diversity and inclusion is actually everyone's responsibility so marketing need to be thinking about how inclusive their campaigns are who who are they showing in their TV commercials or their print campaigns or their online campaigns? P the people that run your office, the work the workplace people need to be thinking about accessibility. Um, things like, you know, gender neutral toilets, um, just having an inclusive built environment um, or office. Uh, your procurement team should really be thinking about how they can attract diverse suppliers and who's who's who are running and leading those suppliers? Are they are they led by people from a minority background? You know, are you actively trying to reach out to businesses that have been founded and led by people from an ethnic minority background, for example? Um, there's huge economic power in that. 
for the business um, and for the country as a whole. So procurement departments play a really important role in building those partnerships and relationships through the supply chain. So diversity and inclusion is a lot more than just the the HR department. Mm. And that's what we talk about in collaboration. And the other thing we talk about in collaboration as well is really engaging with your whole workforce. Um, They're a mountain of information and value. And their bigger organizations tend to set up employee resource groups or diversity networks. And we need to make sure that we're really tapping into those networks, that we're really getting the best out of them. And and also that they're strategically aligned to the the core mission of the business as well. Mm, I totally agree. And um, lastly, you also cover a section called celebration, um, mm. which is one that I've not really come across in in some D E and I books. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it. There is a somewhat of an element, but to have a whole section on it, I'm I'm intrigued. Tell us more. Yes, yeah, so I, I deliberately put celebration at the end because a lot of organizations do it first. And they're, what they're doing is they're, they're, they're window dressing. Um, they are, they're, they're, I suppose they're just doing diversity and inclusion to raise their profile or for marketing reasons. And then employees are left feeling after like they've won an award. They're like, yeah, but this still isn't a very inclusive place for me to work because there's still a policy that, doesn't support LGBT individuals, for example. So there's, there's, I suppose, like this, this systemic um, uh, bias against you know, LGBT individuals. So it's at the end because basically you have to do all of the hard work and then you can celebrate being an inclusive employer. And this is about how you position yourself in the market as an inclusive employer, what goes into your employee brand or your employee value proposition. Um, and how, yeah, how you communicate that out to the market. And um, I mean, on my podcast, actually, I interviewed um, Sally Bucknell, who at the time was head of diversity and inclusion at EY. There was this phrase that she came up with, which has really stuck with me. And it was about, she called it creating the rhetoric gap. So it's about those organizations that win loads of accolades and awards, but the lived experience for staff is still not particularly inclusive. So I suppose their their strategy was actually to empower their people to go and talk more openly about what it's like to work for the firm. So empowering people to talk on social media, at conferences and things like that, rather than trying to go out and win those awards. Mm, I totally agree. I think, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, it, it's great to be recognised and rewarded for, for the great work like that that's been going on in your organization and and you do want that but at the same breath I don't feel like it's something that you should be solely striving for um as you said I agree I think you need to to kind of influence the individual employees to really tell the story for you right so and I think that's when you know that it's actually real is when it's coming from the people that are generally living and and going through the actual journey with that organization um, and if Definitely. they feel that they're inclusive and they want to shout about it, then you know it's somewhere that you want to work. Because I know for me, if I if I find an organisation and it's the employees that are saying, no, this is great, this is my experience, I felt like this, I transitioned here and this is, was my experience, then, then you know that it's true. Then you're more likely to actually believe all the marketing and the adverts and that the awards that they've won are actual genuine awards. 
definitely and it's so easy for people to share their experiences with the world now they can talk about it on linkedin they can leave reviews on glassdoor there are so many other channels that people can can talk about so i think organizations need to move with the times and actually empower their people to be able to talk with authenticity um, about what it's like to work for your organization so we've talked and talked us through the the steps and you've highlighted the key areas within the book of inclusive growth so we know what what needs to happen um whilst those organizations are on that journey we do know that there are there are going to be some challenges along the way right <laughs> yeah so um and in your inspiration of the book you 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 talked about being with or knowing learning more about the organizations and why are they actually getting it right how are they being so successful but in the same breath also finding out the ones that aren't doing so great what's what's happening there so what have you what would you say is some of the most common misunderstandings or challenges that organizations um face when they are trying to create these inclusive environments the most common challenge i come across is is uh, a senior leadership team who are not engaged or taking this seriously enough or driving the agenda so i work with lots of organizations where like half the board get it and the other half don't um or they all get it and then they're like brilliant okay H head of hr it's your problem go and <laughs> you know go run with it <laughs> and then the hr head of hr is like oh no no but yeah i'm happy to you know, run with it, but I need your support. Mm. And I come across that a, a lot. Um, and I think for those that are not engaged in it, quite often, I think it's because diversity and inclusion isn't seen as a priority. So quite often, it might be shrouded as, well, I don't have a lot of time for this. I've, I'm too busy. I've got a lot on my plate. That's code word for, it's not a high priority for me, or I don't understand my role in it because I think there is definitely a misconception that certain senior leaders think that diversity and inclusion is something about those people over there. You know, it's, it's nothing to do with me. Um, but what I, I suppose what I try to impress on my clients is that actually we are all diverse. Um, we've got, you know, diversity is not just about what I, you know, the, the more commonly known things like, somebody's gender or um, ethnicity or sexuality or visible disability it's other things that might not be immediately obvious so it could be whether you're introvert or extrovert whether you grew up in the countryside or the city um your national identity class all those kinds of things that might not be visible so we're in the uk the uk is a very diverse country we've got diversity on our doorstep it's not a question of are we diverse it's like diversity is a given it's we need to start shifting the the conversation more towards inclusion so senior leaders need to be driving that kind of inclusion piece and that culture piece because they are the ones that set the tone for the rest of the organization at, mm. from the very top i think when you're in for regions where like like within the uk for countries where diversity is like you said it's on your doorstep like that's um it's it's easy to get diverse talent like it's not mm. too difficult um but it's more about once they're actually in the door like what does that actually look yeah. like what's their journey what how are you creating this inclusive workplace for them 
Um, yeah. Which, yeah, I, I totally can see that. I I think we need to talk more about inclusion and lead with that rather than diversity. Yeah. Because once you're inclusive, diversity will just fall into place anyway, right? Yeah. Because everyone wants the, to work with you then. <laughs> that's the ultimate desired state. And that's, if you have an inclusive culture, you will have a diverse team because people will want to come and work for you from various backgrounds and they will want to continue working for you as well mm, totally agree um so i've so much enjoyed this conversation toby um thanks so, <laughs> i'm really um your your insights are fantastic and i just before you leave us i would really like to to gauge from you um what's one piece of advice that you would like to give to DEI leaders, the ones that are at the front line trying to lead the charge, what piece of advice would you give to them? My main advice, if you're a DNI leader, um, is to build a support network around you because it can feel like a lonely job at times. Um, and it can sometimes feel like you're not always leaning on an open door and that there's a lot of pressure put on your shoulders. And I I talk to a lot of DNI leaders that get burnt out, get really frustrated. Some, a lot of organizations that I work with, like there's one individual who's leading DNI. And then there's some other organizations where they're employing a, a team of 10 people. So and but I think probably there's a lot more people kind of working individually than there are working in bigger teams. So it can be quite a lonely job and quite an uphill struggle. So my advice is to to build a support network around you, um, to help you, um, yeah, to help you make a more meaningful impact and be more effective in the work that you do. Oh, fantastic. That's that sounds like fantastic advice, Toby. Thank you so much. Um so for anyone who is listening and they want to learn more about you and the your book, Inclusive Growth, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so I'm always on LinkedIn, so just connect with me on LinkedIn and just drop me a message if you've got a question. And my website is www.milden.co.uk where there's more information and that's where people can access free resources like a link to my book uh the podcast that where i interview dni thought leaders um blog posts that i've written all sorts of freebies uh, that people can just consume oh no fantastic i have definitely consumed some of those freebies <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> and they're great um and yeah definitely tune into um toby's podcast as well i'm going to be linking down below all of that information for anyone who is listening so they can easily access it um once again, Toby, thank you so much for joining me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I wish you all the best in the future. Brilliant. Thanks, Natasha. Take care.